Welcome to the Real Talk Theology Podcast, where everyone is a theologian. Whether you believe in God or just have thoughts about God, we invite you to join us as we discuss doctrine for everyday life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Real Talk Theology. I'm here in the studio with my pals Aaron, Brock, and Chris, and my name is Allie. And today we're talking about the no good, the bad, and the ugly, everyone's favorite subject, sin. Woo! Woo! But before we jump into that <laughs> delightful conversation, let's kick it off with an icebreaker. Ice, so, ice baby. Yes. That, that's going to be a thing from now on. Is it? I think it should be a three-part harmony between y'all. I'm not doing that. I don't know if I trust <laughs> either of these I, two. I don't know sing. that I did that when it was popular the first time. Did you so, not? No. You I'm were there. You, I was, you would have been somewhat young when it was popular the first time. What song did that? What year did that uh, song? I would have been in. I was in junior high, I think. So did I ever tell so you none all of about us the... existed? Yes. Yeah. Only in the Lord except for <laughs> in the foreknown knowledge of God. That's right. But that's right. Did I did I ever tell you guys about the time that I went on a date with a girl and for the icebreaker? You got a it was date? Awkward. One time. <laughs> And, and <laughs> he said, and one time. I said one fat time. penguin when things got awkward. And she was like, what? And I was like, I just wanted to break the ice. Didn't have a second date, but hey. <laughs> it makes sense. It to was me. something. Not the second date. Um, yeah. All right. So here's the icebreaker <laughs> okay. scenario. Here we go. This is a real life scenario. I, last night, was at my nephew's football game. Okay. All right. Surrounded by high schoolers. At the end of the game, I'm walking to my car in the parking lot. I drive a pretty recognizable mother-like SUV, okay? So I just, it's not like clearly a teenager's car or anything like that. It felt like that's important to this story. I am the only car in my section, okay? Okay. Two teenagers making out behind my car. Your car? Behind my car. I'm the only one walking up to them. Here's the scenario. What do you do? Oh, I already know what I do. What do you do? I'm, I'm going to wait and see what these guys' answers is. Oh, There's gosh, so many options. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Please don't let me go first. You go first, Chris. Coleman, you're a dad. What <laughs> What do you do? I'm you're also like nine year old son. Maybe. Pretty mischievous. So I in your in Allie's mind, she thinks fear. I oh feel yeah. Like in your mind, you're I like opportunity. Opportunity is what comes to mind. Yeah. We're trying to think of how would I make the most of this opportunity in this moment. You really, I don't. Nothing in particularly clever comes to mind right now uh, to say or to do. Um, I mean, really, I, I because it was so on the fly, I'd probably do the typical old guy, <clears throat> you know, and okay. just get their attention. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I would like to think that I have something cl- more clever to say in the moment. But hmm. yeah. I think I think I'm hitting the car alarm. Heck yeah. Yeah. Is that what you did? No, oh. I had so many regrets, though. Yeah, I think I think I definitely am hitting the 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 car alarm. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Were they behind or yeah, in front of the car? Yeah, they were like a little too close to. I'm like three feet away, maybe max. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm that's, ignoring that's it, putting it in reverse, and just bumping them. Didn't see them. Well, now Smarter. you're getting arrested. <laughs> I, I think I just <laughs> I asked, maybe ask him. just a simple question to say who's winning. And just w- wait and see no. what the response oh, no. is. I did not so want what, to talk to so them. So what did you do? No. I just looked to the left and walked to my car, which was on the right. <laughs> and uh, then the girl was like, it wasn't even good. And She said that? She said that out loud. And then I was embarrassed for everyone, mostly myself. And then I got in my car and left. Mm. So You're speaking of sin. <laughs> yeah, speaking of speaking sin. Speaking of sin. <laughs> Actually, I think that's a great segue. Run with it. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, hey, last week, if you joined us, we talked about um, the holiness of God. What does it mean for God to be holy? Chris, if you're going to summarize that in a statement or a few seconds, summarize our 48-minute conversation. <laughs> what What is God's holiness? Uh, it's the fact that God is, uh, by his very nature, he is set apart, he is pure, he is separate from all of creation, and, uh, and that extend in, in, extends into uh, a lot of how even we are, interact with him or are aware mm-hmm. of him, uh, in that he is not confined to the timeline he, in his holiness and set apart from creation. Uh, he can look at, uh, he, as the scripture says, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end simultaneously. And there's a whole other set of talks mm-hmm. we get into there theologically. Um, but as he is set apart and as he is holy, he also is a God who desires to make a way for us to know him and for us to come into relationship with him. Which set is, apart from the timeline. So God is like the TVA uh, for all of our, Are you not a Marvel fan? I have Marvel? watched the movies. Oh, come on. Am I the only Marvel person right I, here? I like Marvel, but I'm not a nerd, so I, I can oh. just watch the movies. Listen, you're <laughs> drinking water out of a coffee cup. Because it so looks cool. It does hey, look cool. Shout out to Heroes look. Coffee. Sponsor us. <laughs> so I think the, the key to, to what Coleman said there is God's holiness. It can be summed up in the fact that, that he is separate. He is on another level. He is distinct. He is, he is uniquely other than anything or anyone else. Um, creation, like earthly creation, heavenly creation, whatever it might be. Uh, in fact, he is not even created. He has no creator, no no beginning or end because he is God. So, if, thanks for better summarizing what you asked me to summarize. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just so rounding it all back. I'm bringing answer, it back. No, so, if that's who God is, and wrapped up in that is is this aspect of of moralism of of purity. Of, of being genuinely, truly good, right? What about man? If that's who God is, what does the Bible have to say about man? And so is man holy? Is man holy in the same way that God is holy? Has, has man ever been holy? Or how do we understand the nature of, of mankind? And so I'll throw it out there. Has there ever been a time when mankind was holy? What do you think? Like... The very beginning of creation. Okay. Right? Like yeah. before the fall. That yeah. was the closest we ever were. Yeah. So in the beginning, as God makes mankind, he makes man holy. Not that man was a God or was divine um, or was holy in the same way God was, but we see that in the beginning, man was distinct and other from all of creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, no other creation was said to be made in the image of God like mankind was made in the image of God. It's after God makes man and woman that he says all things are what? Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's even especially important to emphasize it's not just after man was created, but God creates man says it's not good for man to be alone, creates woman, and now things are great. Um, But unfortunately, that's not how things lasted. So one of the things we want to make sure we stick on is God made human beings uniquely distinct apart from all over creation. So that can kind of relate to holiness. However, that image, what we would call the image of God, has been marred. Mm -hmm. So what is it that has marred the image of God? Well, it comes back to that three-letter word we're starting on here, and that is sin. But it was, you know, in the beginning, as man was set apart, God also said, I give you Adam dominion over Mm -hmm. all of creation. He gave Adam authority over creation, Adam and Eve. And 
And essentially what we did is we usurped some of that uh, authority over to the enemy by coming under what the serpent had asked mm-hmm. of them in the garden. And I think we hit on this in, I think it was in the last episode, we talked about that that insidious strategy that the enemy has where yeah. he asks questions, he gets to doubt God's word, deny God's word, and deify man. Yeah. Put man in that place where man's defining what is right and wrong, what is sinful and what is unsinful, um, which is what we see rampant in our culture right now. Uh, and so, yeah, sin's the thing that that ultimately causes us to get broken, whereas God did start with this holy, perfect creation. Um, Let's go back for a second, because, you know, maybe someone's listening. They've they've read through some of the Bible. Maybe they know the story of Adam and Eve. But let's do a little deeper dive this time um, on uh, the fall, what happens in the garden, specifically what is it that the, the serpent Satan is saying to Adam and Eve? What What's the, the belief there? How do we get to, you know, they eat some fruit in a garden, and now all of a sudden Allie's got people making out behind her car. How did, how did we get from there to, to where we, we are now? Here? Because Allie wants to know. I'm stressed. So let, let's talk about that a little bit more. Lay it out, Chris, for us. What's going on in the garden? Uh, so in the garden, you have uh, this God who has just spoken everything into existence, which, by the way, uh, talking about speaking the universe into existence, that's where we get the word universe from. Hmm. Uni is single, verse, spoken, word, or sentence. God wow. spoken, then it was. So this God has just spoken the universe into existence, and, uh, and as a pinnacle of that creation, which we just discussed, is the set apart. Uh, part of that creation is the creation of man. And, uh, and he gives... Uh, Adam dominion over all this creation tells him to go forth and multiply and subdue it, and uh, and gives him a helpmate in the form of Eve. But then we see this conversation that begins to happen uh, with this serpent that has arrived in the Garden of Eden, and uh, the one command that God had given them out of all this creation that they could live and enjoy. He said, "Don't eat of this particular tree." You had one rule. One rule, <laughs> and leave it to man. You don't do this one thing, yeah. and it's the one thing we do. But that was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. And uh, and so the serpent comes onto the scene, and I, I can't remember, did we talk about this last episode? We did a little bit, but okay. I, I want to I flesh it out a little bit more here because it really helps us understand what exactly sin is. Because sometimes, you know, sin's a word we don't really want to talk about, we don't like. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, you can use it in a lot of different contexts. So I, I kind of want to lay out this um, a little bit more detailed so that we can get down to the root of what really is sin. Well, and so what you have happen there is the, the serpent shows up on the scene, and the first thing the serpent does is ask Eve a question. Hmm. And the question is, did God really say this? And hmm. In other words, he was trying to get Eve to doubt what God had said. That's God's, God's command. Word. Exactly. Uh, the very next statement that he makes is, and let me just say this, these are progressions of sin that we say, see in our own lives even. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that doubt in and of itself is a sin. In fact, I was on our other Real Talk podcast a while back on doubt and deconstruction, mm-hmm. and we talked about it. It's not that the, the doubt in and of itself is the sin, mm-hmm. and asking questions about your faith is a sin. That's not a sin to ask questions and, and to want to know deeper answers and understand the whys behind things. But in this case, it was specifically doubting a command that God had obviously given. Yeah. Uh, then he goes a step further, and then he, he makes a statement to her. He says, you surely won't die if you eat of this fruit. So now he's gone a step further from doubting to flat out denying what God has said, because God mm-hmm. had flat told him, you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. Yeah. And, um, and lastly, he goes to the next level, and he says, and if you eat of this fruit, you shall be as God's. Mm-hmm knowing good from evil. In other words, you're the ones can define what this good and evil is and, and will point at this thing is good and this thing is evil. Um, which really, if you look at our culture as a whole, 
that's a lot of what's happening in our culture is we're being yeah. pressed to define, hey, what's right for you may not be right for me, or we, how do we, who, who's to say what mm-hmm. sin is or isn't? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, we fall into the same strategy that was employed all the way in the beginning at creation when this fall happens. Mm-hmm. From there, we know, uh, we see the consequences of mm-hmm. uh, the decision that was made. She took of the fruit. She ate of that fruit. Uh, gave some to Adam. Adam, uh, we can't just put the blame on Eve here. Yeah. Adam is the he's, right there. Uh, he's the one that he's there when it is all going down. He's watching this happen, and he's going to eat it too. And so uh, as a result of that, we see a brokenness, a shattering of that, that perfect creation that God had made. And this brokenness first starts inside of, of Adam and Eve's own hearts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now they're broken, and they, that set-apartness that they'd had that was set apart from the rest of creation with God, they're now no longer to that degree. They have been mm-hmm. separated in their relationship with God because of this brokenness that's worked its way in. And now as we look at all of creation, we can see evidence of that brokenness everywhere. Right. We see famine. We see sickness. We see hurricanes that are happening in our country, things like COVID. And really all that, we can blame and this, it, this is getting into a whole other theological thing, and maybe I'm talking too much here, but you opened up a wide topic. I did. Uh, from there, we can look at all creation and say, well, why would this God who is holy, we talked about in the last episode, and in that holiness is loving, and in that holiness is also omniscient and all-knowing, mm-hmm. why would that God allow mm. this to take place? Mm-hmm. Why do you allow the serpent in the garden to ask these questions, knowing that Lucifer had already fallen and was, in, it was mm-hmm. influencing this thing? And so you run into the age-old question of the problem of evil and suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why would this good God allow this to happen? And mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't know, I used to be a car dealer for a long time. And uh, so I'll use an illustration using cars here. Uh, so say I showed you a picture of a car uh, against a tree and the headlights over here and you know the bumpers caved in and this and that. And you're like, wow, I wonder why Honda made that car with that bumper all jacked up. And why did Honda make the car with the windshield busted? And why did Honda make a car that, yeah. that obviously isn't going to function well? And you look at me like I'm stupid and go, well, Honda didn't make the car that way. Yeah, Honda made a car that functioned the way it was supposed to function. Yeah, uh, But the challenge is at some point, somebody took ownership of that car, just like we took ownership of creation through Adam and Eve, and then they drove it into a tree. Yeah, And we want to blame Honda for it, but really we were the one behind the wheel and we drove it into a tree. And so we can try to blame, uh, try to think that we're inherently good people in trouble with this wrathful, angry God, or are we inherently broken people in trouble with a very good God who made a great creation that we broke? Yeah, and so how would you answer this question, though? Because, I mean, I've talked to people, and, and at the end of the day, they're like, is my sin really that big of a deal? I mean, take the garden, for example. Like, isn't God being a little bit petty? I mean, they ate some fruit, big deal. Like, how do you respond to that question? Because I think that's what a lot of people think when it comes to their sin and, and a story like what we see from Genesis 3. I love how our kids' ministry explains sin to children because— Make, make brothers stay proud. Yes. <laughs> so they teach that sin is anything we think, say, or do that goes against God. And so— I'm not yet a parent, but I feel like parenting teaches you about sinfulness in a Mm. way that if you're not a parent, you just don't understand yet. But um, seeing your child go against literally the command that you just gave to them, just even their act of disobedience is so sinful and it has so many other ramifications. And that's, I mean, what you're explaining, we have all of these things because of our sinful nature. And so teaching it to children is to me, one of the most tangible ways for us to understand 
like the process of sin. Because if, if you disobey me here, well, now it means you can't have this. And because you can't have this, maybe you can't progress in this way that you wanted to or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think serving with kids or students is one of the easiest ways to literally watch sin play out. And then also how it affects them spiritually. So mm-hmm. our attitude towards whomever or whatever the situation was completely changes. And it's all because of our act of sin in that mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. I think of, you know, I've got a, I've got a three, almost four year old at home who at church seems like these, she's just the sweetest, she literally most is perfect. lovable, perfect little <laughs> porcelain doll uh, you can imagine, but but at home you find that there is a monster inside of her. Monster of iniquity. There's a sin. There's a monster. Listen, you ne- you never knew how much you could be disrespected until mm. you had kids. Like also how much you could love someone, but also how much someone could just look at you and say, "I absolutely don't care what you're saying." Right. And so it it can seem like really simple things. Hey, don't do that. Hey, mm-hmm. don't rock your chair back. And then she looks at me, and what does she do? Like, she's going to rock her chair back. Is rocking her chair back really that big of a deal? No. Is eating a piece of fruit, does that seem to be that big of a deal? No. But from my daughter to what's happening in Eden, what's going on there is it's not just about rocking a chair back. Mm -hmm. It's not just about eating a piece of fruit. It's about my way is better than your way. You know, my wisdom is better than your wisdom. You're a fool. You don't know what you're talking about. My way is better. Now, what you'll also recognize later on is is you you try that long enough you you end up getting hurt just like we see with with Adam and Eve and what we see is the result of of our sinfulness but also the effects of other people's sinfulness on us and so we see that sin is a big deal mm-hmm. um i can kind of summarize it as what happens in the garden is they 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 question god's command they question god's consequences but ultimately what they're questioning is god's character mm-hmm. is he really good is he lying to us or is what he's saying true? Kind of going along with what we were saying, when you see sinfulness uh, come in, in the presence of God, there are always significant consequences. Um, when you guys uh, think of what happened, I mean, what's the, the ultimate result of, of Adam and Eve's sin? What happens? Do they stay in the garden? No, they, they have to leave. Uh, Aaron and I, earlier, we were talking about Uzzah whenever they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. What happens? The Ark drops, and all of a sudden, they've been told, don't touch the Ark. Like, that's where the presence of God is is symbolized to dwell. Like, you don't touch it. However, he sees it falling, and he thinks that his own hands are cleaner than, than the dirt or the mud, and he touches it, and what happens? He dies. You think of Eli's two sons who offer up strange fire before the Lord, and they end up dying. Um, you think of Isaiah and his call whenever he's he's kind of apprehended by the presence of God. He cries out and says, "Whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. When Peter comes into contact with, with Jesus performing one of his miracles and they bring in all this fish and he recognizes that this is someone divine, he, he cries out, leave me, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. And so, so we recognize that, that absolutely our sin, as insignificant as we think it might be, matters. But why is sin actually a very significant thing? I mean, personally, I think it's just significant to see, I guess, just in comparison to, I don't know, I don't know where to begin on this, but I think so oftentimes in today's culture specifically, which I think we've always done this, um, but today's culture, we see it really, really, um, really well, that it's just like, I'm not that bad, or like, we we remind people that they're good, we, we tell people like, oh, you're a good person, and you know, you do, you do good things, and you know, that makes you good, and I mean, the truth of it is, is like, 
you're not a good person. You know, we're, we're not good people. Even as if we're Christians, we're made righteous, we're made holy, but we're still stumbling saints. We're still, you know, mm-hmm. sinners saved by grace, but we're still, we're still sinners. So with that sin, we're still not completely good. And uh, I kind of talked about that our last episode of like dumbing down words like holy cow or, or you know, calling things good like a Mountain Dew and God, you know, mm-hmm. comparing it like that. And so I think it's significant to see um, just just how ugly and how dirty our sins are, because even with the good intentions of Uzzah, even with mm. the good intentions of even the man that Jesus healed and Jesus was like, don't go share about me. Yeah. And he was like, oh, well, They're you know, you just healed me, so I'm yeah. going to go share about you anyway. And it's like, even with the good intentions that we have in our hearts, like good intentions don't, don't justify breaking God's law or his yeah. command. And so um, I think a lot of times that we, we, we treat we treat sin or we treat God's holiness as something that's not that serious. We shouldn't we shouldn't impose our moral innovation as being greater than what God has already told us. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of wrap up and try to end before a fire alarm comes on, uh, w- w- thinking about why this matters, what are some ways, everyday ways, that we benefit by understanding this view of sin, um, having having an understanding of what God thinks about sin? What is it that we gain? What is it that we benefit um, by not kind of trying to hide or push sin away, but but owning it, recognizing it, seeing it, and understanding it? I did a Bible study this summer, and one of the most, I mean, it's, it's common sense, really, but... Um, just the way it was explained is so helpful. Like when I open the Bible, a lot of times I'm reading to find myself in scripture, Mm. right? But really it's a book about God. And so when I understand and read more about who God is and everything he is, the more I understand about everything I am not. And so understanding that that separation just between the two of us Mm. puts me in my place when it comes to sin. I understand more about God's holiness when I understand how sinful I truly am. Mm. Yeah, and I think one of the things, too, is uh, one of the things that helps us when we understand sin is, and Chris, you hit on this earlier, when we understand the presence and the reality of sin, it gives us an understanding for the brokenness in our world. If we remove God, if we remove sinfulness, then we just live in kind of this chaotic world of atoms that have reactions and things just happen and there's no good or bad. They're just things that are. We may like them sometimes, and we may not like them other times, but even those likes and dislikes are just, you know, physiological reactions in our own brains. There's no real substance. So it's also important that we understand uh, the the sinfulness that's going on around us, because once we understand that God is against sin, um, that's actually a very good thing. Personally, we might feel taken aback by it, but when we look around our world, we see the brokenness, we see the disaster, we see the chaos, we recognize that this isn't something that, that God is oblivious to. He's not ignorant of it. He's not okay with it. He's not approving of it. But all of these things are things that he is against and that one day the Bible says he's going to make right. Well, and also understand, too, that that brokenness that does, as I said earlier, it started inside of Adam and Eve and then permeated all of creation, mm-hmm. uh, as we see the evidence of that, of the things you mentioned there. But but that brokenness inside of us, um, it's because it started inside of us, what it ultimately does, it puts us in a position of constantly trying to be in the place of God, as though mm-hmm. we can somehow improve upon the justice or the righteousness of God in our own decision-making processes. Uh, and uh, there's a you know, 
call for us in Scripture to walk humbly before our God. Yeah. And humility is a word thrown around a lot in our culture and, and in Christianity. And humility is this. Humility is being known for who you are, nothing more and nothing less, mm-hmm. and recognizing that anything good in your life is a result of God or others pouring in. Yeah. So that's the definition that I use for humility. It was taught to me. And so as we walk in humility and recognizing who we are, nothing more or nothing less, that that we aren't the ones who can define what is right and wrong, that we are broken in a lot of ways, but at the same time that we're valued by God, yeah. um, that there's this balance to maintain. We can also flip on the other end of this sin discussion and go so heavy in depravity mm-hmm. uh, without recognizing but God also wrote the law of the Lord upon our hearts, and God is also drawing us and intrinsically wired us for some things to seek after mm-hmm. Him, which are good things. Um, so yes, but that brokenness does. It begins inside of each one of us. Yeah. Yeah, and then I would I'd also say that there's a Jonathan Edwards quote that I really like, and, uh, and he said that um, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's really powerful because um, like, when we realize that, we can see that like we— in order to have a relationship with Jesus, in order to be reconciled to the Father, it's not just about doing good. Uh, you know, if it's, all about, if it's about good works, then there's no need for the cross. There's no need for Jesus. Um, I think I stole that from Luther, some smart theologian. <laughs> and uh, But, yeah, it, it makes us realize that we, we need a cure, we need a remedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we realize how deep and how terrible our sin is, um, I think that helps in our process of sanctification, truly, because some people approach it as like, Oh, I'll just keep sinning because God loves me. But it's like, no, I I don't want to continue in this sin, yeah. and 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 you know, so um, so yeah, I think sin is it's a terrible thing, but at the same time, due to our sin, it makes us realize our need for God and uh, just just how beautiful that relationship is once we're reconciled to Him. You yeah, because what the garden also shows us is Adam and Eve leaving the garden wasn't just a consequence of now they've got to go live in a harder place. Leaving the garden is leave, leaving a perfect fellowship with God. Now, because God is holy and mankind is unholy, there is a separation. There is a division drawn. So next time that we get together, uh, we're going to be talking about what is it that that brings us back together? What is it the solution? How does God overcome uh, His holiness, our unholiness? Because as, as we've talked about, He desires a relationship with us, so, so something has to be done there. And we look forward to talking more about that with you all next week as we turn to the idea, or next month, as we turn to the idea of how God makes us holy. So thank you for joining us for this episode of the Real Talk Theology Podcast. And until next time, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing.